the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi there, and welcome. This is Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. As we continue our look at the life of the Apostle Paul out of Acts chapter 21, verses 16 through 36, we continue with our message called In Honor of the Gospel. Paul is resolute about returning to Jerusalem for the gospel's sake, even though there are several who prophesy that danger awaits, imprisonment, and even death. Yet he goes anyway. Now, this is what we're looking at in Acts chapter 21, as well as several other verses. The distorted hearing of the legalist and the naive believing elders. Join us for today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan. Paul is fishing. There's no doubt about it. He's fishing. He's an evangelist. His goal is to see people saved. Doesn't he want his Jerusalem brethren to be saved? He wants them to know Christ. And so that is the chief reason for which he is going headwind into the belly of the beast. He wants to see them saved. What he's about to discover is that the task of becoming all things to all men is going to be extremely rigorous. I'm just letting you know that, okay? But he's committed to it, but he's about to bump up against two streams, and we're going to identify those streams here in a moment. Thirdly, He's dealing with a conflict that I often talk to us about, and that is the conflict of orthodoxy versus evangelism. These are principles of discernment. Are they not? These are principles of discernment. You got to be mature to even know what I'm talking about. Right. So what will happen often, and this here is a pattern that goes on in the church all the time. An individual may focus on orthodox teaching and be committed to sound doctrine, but not necessarily aware of the fluid nature of evangelism by which that sound doctrine is disseminated. And so the person who is stuck on sound doctrine may find himself at odds with the individual who is committed to getting that sound doctrine where it needs to go. Am I making some sense? So now the person that is pious and, 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 and ready to cross every T and dot every I and make sure that his, his, his doctrinal views are correct does not have in his point of reference the ability to get that orthodoxy to an unsaved person. So you have people in the church who can clearly lay out doctrine, who don't have the legs to do evangelism. And as a consequence, they will look at the evangelist and begin to find fault with the evangelist because the evangelist will appear to be unorthodox. Now, if you even hesitate on what I'm saying, 
You don't even read your Bible because the whole of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is orthodoxy contra evangelism. Am I making some sense? It's the Pharisees and the pride of them loving and defending Moses against the scandalous conduct of the Son of Man, i.e. his forerunner, John the Baptist, and the manner in which they drew men to themselves because they understood that orthodoxy means nothing if it stays caged up. Am I making some sense? That if one does not know how to collate, converge, bring together orthodoxy and evangelism, one will be guilty of not loving. Am I making some sense? You will be guilty of not loving because loving is manifested by evangelism. How do we know? Christ didn't sit in glory and said, I love you. He came. Did he come? When he came with all the glorious scandal that the gospel brings with it. Remember, honor is controversial. Is it? Honor is controversial. So what Paul is about to do is enter into the conflict of orthodoxy versus evangelism. And here's what I would say about that. The reason why I use that term orthodoxy versus evangelism is because it's the most practical way to put it. But I would say this, that you are really not orthodox if you're not evangelical. I'm giving you the juxtaposition of the two, but the reality is you are not orthodox if you don't have as a driving, compelling force that all men would see the glory of God in the person of Christ and worship and adore God like you do. That your orthodoxy is defective by virtue of a lack of passion that men would know God like you do. Am I making some sense? Now watch this. Watch this. And therefore you cannot claim to be sound in your doctrine. To be sound in doctrine is to be rooted in the truth of the gospel. But like the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, we proclaim Christ to all men everywhere in wisdom that they all might be presented perfect in Christ. He says that's our goal, to proclaim him everywhere. And this is what makes Paul such an, a unique specimen of a study for us today. And I'm laying out for you why the the tension is here. The final one, and this also is in conjunction with the other three, there is a conflict here between method and motive. There's a conflict here between method and motive. We're going to go back through our text and see this. Right. So you watch someone do something. And you don't fully understand it because you're quick to speak. As if somehow you see things the way God does. And then you begin to draw conclusions and interpretation. Hey, Paul's in the temple with a Gentile. No, he wasn't. But that's the conclusion they drew because they were offended by his method. And thus they condemned his motive. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Now, the reason I toss all these things out is because if you and I are not disciplined in our thinking, if the walls of our mind are collapsed, then the enemy can get inside and violate laws of reason, laws of rationale, laws of objectivity, laws of right thinking. And we can begin to build assumptions that are wholesale wrong. And that's what we're about to see in our text. So underline the basic conflict that Paul is dealing with. And I call this in honor of the gospel 
He didn't know all this was coming. I can tell you now, Paul didn't know all this was coming. All he knew was he was going to be bound when he got to Jerusalem. But as soon as he gets off the boat in Jerusalem, things begin to happen. So now the first thing that happens is a strange thing. This is what I meant by apples and oranges, two streams. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 22, uh, Acts chapter 21, rather, verse, um, verse 16. Let's see here. Verse 17. Are you there? This is point number one in our outline. I call this the naive believing what? Elders. You guys got an outline? So your main bold point is something I want to lift up right now. The naivete of believing elders. The naivete of believing elders. This is seen clearly in verses 17 through 20. This is going to set the context for our four sub points. This is going to show us apples and oranges, two streams Orthodox in the evangelism and uh, methods and motives being misunderstood. Verse 17. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren did what? Received us gladly. That's a great opening proposition and statement. Is that right? right. You you get to Jerusalem, you get off the boat, and when you see the brethren, hey, they're glad to receive you. That's the first positive note. It's a great thing. It's better than as you're getting off the boat, they throw tomatoes at you. But be careful about gladness because it has a superficiality to it and a temporarity to it that requires you to remain discernful. When you run across people who come up to you glad and happy to see you, don't let your guard down. Can I talk tonight? Don't let your guard down. Don't let your guard, don't let gladness be the key that opens up the whole of your storehouse so that inadvertently persons can get in and find you at your weak point. Be glad that people are glad to see you, but understand this, there has to be a limit to that gladness. First, because you are not all that. That's the first thing. Just real, be real sober about yourself. Just, just, Jesus didn't come, okay? Just, be real sober about that. The Lord hadn't come for us to be in a sort of undiscerning way happy. You're not Jesus. So you're coming into people's presence that might be good. But do you know that people have mixed motives? Do you know that people have un, uh, undeveloped motives? Do you know that people often don't even know their own motives? That sometimes they are in the whim of a circumstance and about to be used by the adversary because they don't really have their feet planted in their objective when they meet you. Have you ever had a situation where 10 seconds into that glad smile, things got turned around real quick? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? See, that's my point. So now watch this. They received us gladly. And then the text tells us in verse 18, and the day following, Paul went in with us unto James. Now, who is James? He's one of the pillars. He's one of the leaders. He's the brother that managed the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 and helped negotiate the conflict that the elders back then had with the Gentiles, not keeping the law, not being circumcised, not doing all of the rigorous things that the law indicated. These are the same people, y'all. So we're going from chapter 15 to now chapter 21, and we're dealing with the same people. Are you guys hearing me? James and the elders. Now, I'm going to make this point just for application to some of you. All right. We always hope that people will change. Do you got that? 
Because we, we believe that we are not immutable, that we are not um, altogether rigid in every aspect of our makeup, and that tomorrow God can do a work of grace in a person's life, and their, their mindset can change, and their views can change, and they can soften, and they can become more pliable, and actually God can discipline them at the level where it opens up their mind, and they begin to be more thankful and grateful, and we want that with people that we've had difficulties with. Isn't that right? Right. But as a rule, when you deal with a person two years ago or five years ago or even 10 years ago and you come up against them and they're glad to see you, don't do anything with that gladness, but let it come and let it go. You'll find out real soon whether you are dealing with the past or the present. Do you understand what I just stated? You'll find out real soon whether you're dealing with a person that's stuck in the past or a person who is progressing, who is developing, who is maturing, who is pressing toward the mark. I had an article I wrote like a thousand years ago, uh, and it might still be on the website, maybe not. It's called, When Future Met the Past. You guys got that? When the future met the past. And that article was designed to show you how, when you are resolved as a child of God to actually press into the will of God, which will of God is always forward thinking. The will of God is always forward thinking. The will of God is protological and eschatological at the same time. Am I making some sense? The will of God is never fixed in this moment. It always encompasses the future. When you and I are going to be healthy as believers walking with God, you got to know that God's always moving forward. He has an eschaton. He has a day of fulfillment. He has a consummation that he is going to achieve. That's why when Jesus showed up, he was walking. He wasn't standing. He called them to follow him. And those 11 men walked with Jesus all the way to where Jesus was ordained to go, didn't they? To the cross. And then he commanded them to continue in their task, moving forward into the world with the gospel, with a clear vision that God is forward thinking. Now, when you meet people who don't have that kind of forward thinking mindset, they're stuck in the past. There are several toxic components that you got to watch out for. Because when you're stuck in the past and time is forward oriented, you do know that, right? Time ain't going backwards. Please understand that time is not going backwards. So if you meet somebody that's stuck in the past, then you know that they're not operating in a healthy stream. A stream that's healthy is always flowing. They're stuck in a still sort of pond that's growing all kinds of toxic and and bad uh, elements in it that can be very harmful for you. you. You can know this by 10 minutes into the conversation with them. They take you back. They take you back. And here you are... Kind, kindly trying to move forward. You know how you try to be nice with them? And you, you, you want to cut that little off and just keep going? Yeah, well, you know, this is what I'm doing these days. And they go, okay, but do you remember trying to drag you? So this is future meeting the past. That's a conflict. And you know how you struggle when you're talking to people that are past-oriented thinkers and you are future-oriented thinkers? You struggle in that and you go, how do I extricate myself from this? Because I am not going backwards. You have to find a way to break it and not feel bad about the break. Because when God shows you that a person is stuck in the past, that means that that individual has a specific kind of relationship with you. It's a little one. 
It's a little one. You got that? In other words, they must not be viewed by you as some significant person when you are under assignment to go forward. You can't let anything keep you from moving forward in your walk with God. Or you dishonor God. You dishonor your calling. And you dishonor all of the gifts that are employed in your calling to move you forward. Am I making some sense? In other words, you got to learn how to categorize people. You got to learn how to be able to identify them as remote and distant past relationships. Tag that thing and put it on the shelf. Recognize that there was an expiration date on that relationship that cannot be reneged. You don't want to open that can. All right, so Paul is kind of dealing with that here. So here's how this goes. When he comes to James and the elders that were present, verse 19, notice what it says. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry, deja vu. Because again, remember, this is what they did when he showed up in Acts chapter 15, talked about how God had worked through him and Silas and Timothy to bring about the gospel in Asia Minor, remember? And they rejoiced. Notice what it says in verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, thou seest, brother, how many? Stop, 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 stop. Look at verse 20, part A. And when they heard it, they what? Glorified the Lord. There it is. They glorified the Lord. We don't know what that looks like on a practical level, but they were happy. But what Luke does is immediately goes into their main concern. They don't pause. They don't resonate. They don't reflect. They don't do an extended praise break. As soon as they glorify the Lord, boom, he goes into the next line. Now, this next line is the pivot that I want you to see. Because this pivot in this verse shows us the apples and oranges that were established at Jerusalem that's going to keep Paul from being able to make a positive impact among these Jews. Notice what it says. And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto Paul, Do you see, brother? How many thousands of Jews there are, which what? That sounds good. But look at this next line. And they are all zealous of the law. Do you see it? So out of the abundance of the mouth, that's the heart what? James has just exposed Paul to the underlying narrative of apples and oranges. But here's what I call a naive eldership. What I'm going to share with you now may not be obviously seen by you, but eventually you'll get it. What James just exposed Paul to was a wolf in sheep's clothing. What he exposed Paul to was a form of godliness that actually denied the power. What he showed Paul was a hypocrisy that was rooted in a concession to say we believe on Messiah, but we are really zealous for the law. That is a juxtaposition that fundamentally cancels out the gospel. I'm going to show you how it works. We could hang out at verse 20 and, and, and really resonate around what or who should the believer be zealous about? What or who should the believer be really zealous about? Now, since you and I are are working on understanding and implementing the concept of what? Honor. I want you to keep that, resonate with that. And we learned this now over the last several weeks that honor has 
different priorities, different levels, right? That you can honor one thing and in honoring one thing, you can be dishonoring something else. Is that true? Well, is it possible to have such a zeal and honor for the law that you dishonor God? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that little caveat, and they are all zealous for the law, was a warning by God to Paul through James that you are in trouble, brother. Do you guys hear me? You are in trouble. The gospel has not gripped these men enough for them to be enamored by Christ. Grace has not so gotten a hold of their soul that they are now ready to be sacrificially zealous for Jesus like you are. They're still zealous for the law. Now watch, James is going to open this up a little bit more. Verse 21, he says, and they are informed of you. See it? I told you that gladness turned around real quick, didn't it? It turned around real quick. Happy to see you, Paul. Man, good. Everything all right? Look, 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 look. You got a bunch of Jews here. You see them all? They all believers in Messiah, but, but they are zealous for the law. Paul better listen very carefully because he's dealing now with two streams. He's dealing with a stream that's headed towards Christ and a stream that's headed towards Moses. Do you understand that? And here's the thing. He knows both streams experientially. He now has to handle this case carefully. Really, actually what's happening is the hoopadime is, is taking effect for Paul. The play is opening up now. As he advances up the field, he's starting to see the play open up. He's seeing the offense and the defense. He's starting to see the shape and form of the angles, the direction, the trajectory that he has to go rhetorically because things are about to, take, about to occur. He's about to take some hits. You guys see that, right? Right. For those of you who are new in theology, this is germane to your ability to comprehend the true gospel in a proper fashion. And that is understanding that the gospel has a view relative to the law that brings the law in subordination to Jesus Christ because of the accomplishments that the law demands being fulfilled by Jesus. So that the believer, as much as he delights in the law of God, does not live in passionate zeal to fulfill the law as if the law is not fulfilled. Am I making some sense? You must know that, that your relationship to the law has to be from the standpoint of satisfaction, from the standpoint of completion, from the standpoint of fulfillment, not from the standpoint of a mandate of a moral uh, accomplishment on your part in order to please God. Got to be careful. And this is a subtle dynamic. In fact, right now in this verse, here's what you can think about. Are you ready? You can think about Paul's letter to the Galatians and how he had to labor to work through theologically a complete system of doctrinal truth, clarifying that it is not possible for you to have an equal allegiance to grace and law at the same time. Are you guys with me? And that grace is not canceled out by a mandate of the law. Are you hearing me? Right. It's very important. Ye who are justified by the works of the law have fallen from grace. Isn't that what he said? Right. So you, you, you have to be able to take that statement seriously relative to its import. They are informed of thee that you teach all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to do what? Forsake Moses. Do you see that? 
That's what they're informed of. Now, notice the emphasis that James is laying on this. James is saying, Paul, this is what they know about you or believe about you or have heard about you. Your gospel is designed specifically to simply make derogatory the law of Moses. Your gospel is designed specifically to serve as a continual, relentless antagonism to God's law. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what that is, is a distortion of the facts. Now, you need to know that when facts are distorted, that distorted facts are facts nonetheless, but the error is in the distortion. Right. So we're not going to throw the baby out with the water, uh, bathwater, but we are going to address the what? Distortion. Because it's after distortion that the enemy creates conflict in relationships with people. Such a wonderful time here in God's Word. It's our hope and prayer that you're growing in grace as you take the time to study God's Word with us. We thank you for joining us. This is Way of Grace, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We would leave you with an invitation. If you enjoyed the time you've had with us today studying God's Word, please consider this a formal invitation to join us in person. Sunday services at Grace Bible Church in Hayward are at 11 a.m. Sunday schools at 10. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We've got a lot of folks from all over and from a variety of churches joining us Friday evenings at 8 p.m. for this Bible study. You're invited to either one. We're located at 20450 Royal Avenue. That's here in Hayward. And the zip code is 94541. If you're trying to tom-tom us or uh, Google us for the map, you can also get directions at our website, grace-bible.com. Again, that's grace-bible.com. Or simply call for directions, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. As always, we have CDs available. You can download the messages off our website or call us and order a CD of today's broadcast or any program that you have heard here on Way of Grace. We'd be more than happy to get one out to you. You can call us at 510-886-9782 or stop by our website, grace-bible.com. We do thank you for spending time with us today. Trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.